This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. This is the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Great to have you with us. We were talking kin keeping. Are you familiar with that phrase? It's also known as emotional labour, mental load. Taking on all of the chores from birthday parties to allergies to pet vaccinations, all those little things that do add up to a whole lot of stress. Dr. Thrai was on hand to talk about the research behind it and what you can do to avoid resentment. Do we need facials? Skin Laundry was in the studio talking everything from ageing and lasers to blackheads and acne. We had Jay from Woven Travel giving us some top tips if you're looking for a vacation, talking sustainable travel and sorting out your destination dilemmas. We were talking to a model and actor turned children's author about total pandemonium. It is your psychology hour here on Dubai I 103.8. And in 1985, Carolyn Rosenthal coined a term called kin keeping. This describes the invisible work women do that often goes without credit. It encapsulates the physical and emotional unpaid labour that they shoulder from conducting household chores, remembering relatives' birthdays. So how has this changed since the mid-80s? And are you the one that's taking on the mental load in your household? How is it affecting you? Let us know your thoughts on this. Emotional labour, mental load, kin-keeping, or just a massive pain in the you-know-what. How do you feel about it? Also... Guys out there, do you feel like the tables have turned somewhat? What's what's on your shoulders? I'd love to hear from you on that. And equally, if you want to really resolve a situation in your relationship, this is your chance. Joining us live on the line is Dr. Thraya. She's a clinical psychologist at the Human Relations Institute and Clinic. Dr. T, how are you? I'm well, Helen. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. It's been a very, very, very busy start to the year. And everyone I speak to, myself included, uh, a bit of, a bit of overwhelm at the moment. So mm. I think this is a really timely topic because that's it's, it tends to be these drip, drip, drip of the, you know, sign this letter for school or remember that so-and-so's kid has an allergy or, you know, did you get the car's insurance renewed that can often just right. feel like a bit too much. So before we get into the nuts and bolts and the research and, and go to a lot of the messages I've had on this, I'm wondering how you describe, and we're going to use the phrase kin keeping um, now, to anyone who might be unaware of, of the concept. Well, essentially, um, being a kin keeper is basically the role that's that's assigned by the family or by society as, um, you know, you're going to be taking care of or looking after your kin. So this could be um, quite emotionally burdening. Um, and usually it is placed on women. It's actually really interesting, Helen, because when I was, and when we had been talking about this particular um, situation and kin keeping, uh, in my mind, I was like, wow, but you know that there are, there, there are certain roles that men have to play Definitely. depending on the culture. Definitely. Can you unpack that for us in terms of what you've either seen through research or coming into clinic or anecdotally? Of course. So essentially, you know, with kin keepers in general, they have specific roles, right? And more often than not, the female is looked at for the the caretaker, the nurturer, the one who, you know, looks after them if they get sick and so on and so forth. But the men are usually the kin keepers in terms of financing and, and being the financial manager and making sure that everything is taken care of for, you know, their, their, basic physiological needs. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting to see how the roles 
have not necessarily been throughout um, all the cultures, but how how they differ within cultures and with and 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 the expectations that different cultures and societies have. Um, does this come up in in clinic much with clients? Of course, because you know, obviously, in my mindset, I come from specific cultures. So, in in my mindset, I'm like, oh, okay, so I know what the roles and responsibilities of females and males are. But then I see with with certain clients that are from different cultures, their their roles are completely different, or mm-hmm. some of them are very similar. And it's very interesting to see how certain cultures have certain expectations of of different genders, whereas other cultures might actually have those. expectations come completely switched Mm -hmm. so it's really interesting to see and that's why when you know the more research I did about kin keeping I realized that even though the most of the research which is quite limited when it comes to kin keeping um, is done on women because women seem to be the more kin keepers of of their kin Um, there's actually a lot of anecdotally I see that there's a lot of uh, financial stress put on men because they also have to worry about what their family or their their parents are going to require as they get older. I think that's such an important topic to raise. And I, I, you know, we've discussed you know roles of of men and toxic masculinity in in many different forms on the show over over recent months and years. And I think it's so so important to flag this. And I mean. I've said this in the past, you know, when I when I had my first daughter, everyone was rushing to check if I was okay, is the baby okay? And mm-hmm. I was like, well, the guy in the corner is probably going through a lot right now because a lot is changing in his world. And that's very rarely acknowledged. And we've had a number mm-hmm. of messages, you know, addressing just that. So I, I'm going to go to the text line and we have got a few messages with questions on, which we'll be addressing soon. Pete's saying, I'd say we split things pretty fairly and play to our strengths. I'm the one sorting car and life insurance, school paperwork, pet vaccinations, booking holidays, etc. Whereas my wife takes on a lot of the kids day to day. Things have definitely changed since our parents' generation. Um, Drew saying much of the problem lies in the way we're conditioned to see women as the managers of household chores and family tasks. Men might execute them but will rarely take the initiative to identify what needs doing and just do it without being asked. Hence, the woman feels more stressed. And I say this as a man. My brother is basically <laughs> a six-foot toddler, and I don't know how his wife tolerates him. <laughs> now, my husband might be listening, actually, right now. So I would just like to say, and I'm not just saying this in case Mr. Farmer is, we are very fair-minded in this. And because I'm obviously on the radio in the afternoon, anything that comes in from schools and you know all that stuff during, during the time, he is on it absolutely on it with school stuff you know he is super engaged super active and I'm not saying this in kind of woohoo aren't I lucky I'm just like this is this is fact because I feel like when you've got expectations and you've established what's what's expected you hopefully will be able to come to resolution but what happens if you can't we're going to be talking about that and a lot of you having a bit of a rant and that's absolutely fine by all means get in touch katrina saying i often fantasize about stopping everything i do for the family and watch it all fall apart (laughs) (laughs) katrina i don't think you're alone in that sentiment dr thurai with us this afternoon clinical psychologist do you feel like you are taking on much of the emotional labor the mental load the running of a household and it doesn't feel fair whether you are male or female This is Psychology Hour and in conversation now with Dr. Thurai, you might not have heard of the phrase kinkeeping. I hadn't heard it until quite recently, but you likely will have benefited 
from it at some point. Thinking about the magic of the holidays, many feeling rested, but mums mostly, many kind of head figures and families certainly won't. Um, Thinking about the responsibilities of running a household, all the stuff that goes on without kids and other members even knowing about it, shopping, cooking, wrapping, organising. It does continue through into the new year um, as we get organised. And it's really interesting to hear from so many of you about the the emotional labour in your home and how it's split or not split. This has gone viral recently. Um, This is a content creator on TikTok who goes by Advice Girl, sharing her thoughts on kin keeping. And it has resonated with many, many followers. Four million times it has been viewed so far. Here's a little bit. Kin keeping is the root of stress in most women's lives. And because they don't know the name for it, they're often called irrational. So I'm going to give you a little analogy before I explain what it is. Imagine there's a theater and they want to put on a play. They're going to hire not only actors and actresses, but they're going to hire costume designers, people to move the furniture in between scenes, people to move the curtains, ushers to have everyone sit in the right spots. There's a lot of effort and time and energy that goes into a play. But at the end of the day, when the play is done, people are not clapping for everything that they did not see. They're clapping for the actors and actresses that they witnessed. In this analogy, the men are the actors and actresses, and the women are the people who go unseen. You may notice during the holidays there's a lot of women in your kitchen. Bonding, talking, but they're also doing work. And it's not only your mom, it's your aunts, your grandma, it's everyone, and they just subconsciously know your mom needs help, and they create a bonding experience out of it. And that's fine, but if you look at the men, they're sitting at the table talking, and laughing and telling stories, relaxing with their feet up, not knowing what time anything starts. You might notice on a road trip, your mom's wondering, did everything get packed? Where is everybody? Has everyone eaten? What time are we getting there? What was I supposed to bring? And you might notice your dad saying, calm down, why are you being so irrational? Everything's gonna be fine, stop worrying so much. And it pains me to see this because this man doesn't see all the work that your mother has done because it doesn't have a name. He doesn't know the name. He doesn't know any of the work she's done. Kin keeping. It's the unpaid labor that women are assigned to subconsciously as a gender. And not only does this cause a lot of stress in women's lives, but it also breeds a lot of ignorance in men. Advice girl there on TikTok. Now, the reason this has gone viral is because it's obviously the very extreme and I would say quite unfair one-sided view of it all and it's me speaking up for the men listening today and the men in my life um, but it is the experience of an awful lot of women and if you are in that number please do get in touch we've had a number of messages um, on this Dr Thraya is joining us to navigate the topic of kin keeping emotional labour um, mental load it's also referred to as um, and we've had a number of messages Thraya that I want to bring to your attention and no name on this one saying overwhelming definitely brings about more mental breakdowns than one would like, especially if your husband doesn't realise or comprehend the extent of the effect it's having. I've tried to talk to him and explain that the mentality and culture in which he's been brought up doesn't help. It's affected my mental well-being because I can never really take a break from the mental and physical to-do list. It's affected my relationship with my husband and my kids because I'm always managing everyone and everything and have no time for myself at all. I'm aggressive with both and that's not how I want to be. My husband said he wants to engage but never wants to do the work. And conveniently, always has a solid excuse as to why he can't help. And I think this is the root of it, Thraya. I think this is um, when 
sometimes it works. Sometimes, and I'm lucky enough, as I said, in my family that we, we split things and we, I hope, always appreciate what the other one's doing. But when it's not being appreciated or it's not being communicated what expectations are and what's perhaps not even being seen, this is where it can lead to resentment and even contempt, which, as we've discussed before, can be really catastrophic for a relationship. I agree. And you know, Helen, I think one of the most significant things about what um, that person on TikTok was saying is that you can see the gender gap there. I mean, yes, it is usually more often than not the burden on the on the female within the relationship to do all of these things. But I do not agree that this is a female male issue because Mm -hmm. I have seen many a times in clinic, as well as with other experiences, that men are also burdened, but in just different ways. And in the same breath that we say that men don't appreciate what women do behind the scenes, there are a lot of women that also don't appreciate what men do behind the scenes either. And even if you want to take a very um, traditional, stereotypical male-female relationship where the man is the one who's working and the woman is the one who's working at home and taking care of everything that happens with the kids and the whole household chores, there's still a burden on the male. It's not like the financial burden is not a heavy burden in and of itself, making sure that there's food on the table, making sure that the kids have enough money for education. There's just so much that is involved. And I think the one thing that you said, Helen, is by far the most important is that appreciation piece, making sure that both sides are appreciating what each side is contributing. And that's and when we talk about kinkeeping, it's very easy to separate and say women are the kinkeepers and men are not. That's not accurate. Both parties are kinkeepers, but it's about how we appreciate each other and how we recognize what each party is bringing to the table. Absolutely. And I think this latest message that's just come in puts it perfectly, saying once a few years back after discussion with my husband on the fact he thought we were fair at splitting our chores, we decided to swap them for a month. We wrote everything we do down for the family um, and went on with our life until dinner the next day. Decided to swap for a month. I got a call from him to say he's at the grocery and he's asking what he needs to get. Me? You don't know what you're making? He came to me after two weeks. that The mental load I have to deal with on a day-to-day basis is incredible. And since then, he is a lot more involved. So they wrote it down. They swapped. And a bit of a breakthrough, it sounds like, on, on but maybe both parts, but certain, certainly his. But that's, that's exactly it. If, if you don't say... If you don't communicate it, you just do it. And I'm not saying you are or were a martyr about it. Then the other person is not going to know. They're not going to be able to appreciate it. Um, so many messages on this. Um, please don't um, do not hesitate to get in touch. And um, Bala saying for for things to change, men need to see the home as their responsibility too. It's more complicated here with having domestic helpers, but I'm trying to raise my son to see that he needs to contribute to the tidiness and running of our household as well. conversation now with Dr. Thuraya, clinical psychologist at the Human Relations Institute in Clinic. And we're talking about a term kinkeeping. It was coined back in 1985 to describe the invisible work that women do that goes without credit. Encapsulated that kind of emotional and physical and paid labour, conducting household chores, remembering relatives' birthday. So how have things evolved since the 80s? And is this quite an unfair assumption? We've had so many messages on this topic and messages as well um, coming through on the phone lines. Here is Julie giving her take. I honestly think that we need to look at this in a different way and this is very much the essence of it is communication or miscommunication and what we also need to be looking at is finding our voice and taking responsibility. 
Now, I know that's much easier said than done, but this is where this discussion here now is so valuable. And thank you. I think it's really valuable in terms of communicating to our children as well, Thraya, um, about expectations around roles um, and responsibilities. Mm. Um, And as we said, a lot of the previous research has been looked on the amount of emotional labour that women take on. And my goodness, we've had lots of messages supporting that as well. But a lot of men rightfully saying that they do so much that goes unnoticed and unappreciated. And I think Julie's point about communication, about this is what I've got on my plate. How about you? Um, you know, what could I be doing to lessen that? How can I understand a little bit more about what's going on? Because I'm de- definitely guilty of that. Nick will be like, oh, you know, I've made appointments for the visas. And I'm like, OK, cool. Not really appreciating that he's been, you know, going through the ringer on, you know, who knows how many phone lines. Um, now, I want to come to a, a really interesting question here. Um, no name on this saying, what if your partner works away a lot? I work full time, but here in Dubai, when he's back after a few weeks or even months, I feel like he's intruding on family life and I don't welcome his offers of help because I know it will take ages to explain and I'll end up redoing anything um, at all anyway. How can I avoid resentment? What's your take on that? Because resentment, um, it's a slippery slope. Well, I, I mean, to, to use a word like resentment basically means that there is a lot more involved there than just, you know, him being involved in the household chores. Because ultimately, with him traveling and going away for quite some time, it's not like he's not contributing. There is still a financial contribution that's coming into the house that is also helping sustain the house. Now, if the contributions you don't feel are very um you know, viable or realistic, considering the context that he may not understand, it is up to you to communicate that to him. Because it's important to make to make him feel like he's part of the family mm-hmm. as well. It's, it's He's not just a financial provider. And, you know, being away from family is not easy on all on a lot of men as well. And so watching like being away from their kids as they're growing up, not being able to to really have a strong bond with them, being away from your wife, all of these things are a burden on and an emotional burden on men as well. So it's it's really important to to kind of move away from the victim mentality of, you know, I'm the one that's doing everything. I'm the one that's kind of you know, involved and who are you to come and if, well, as soon as it becomes a me versus you mentality within a relationship, you're, you're really missing the point here. The point is that the both of you are working together to raise the, 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 your kids in the healthiest way possible and to strengthen the family in the best way possible. So try to look at it from a we mentality rather than a me versus you and take the time, be patient. I mean, the fact that he travels a lot for his his work is not his fault. Mm-hmm. It's not for him to be blamed for. This is, yes, his responsibility is to to help in the household. And unfortunately, this happens to be your, your setup. And let's not forget that you've agreed to the setup. So you have to work on not necessarily having that victim mentality that this is happening to me rather than I chose to be a part of this. And in choosing that, I also have to choose to make my husband a part of the household whenever he is around. Well said. I think there's probably a lot of people cheering around Dubai hearing that. Um, a message here saying mental load, it's a real thing, but project management theory dictates that there can only be one project manager. You can't share the load. You can only divide up what you're controlling. If you are overloaded, then you have to let go of being in control of some things. Interesting point to that, to that last message there. Um, we've had a message here from Ria saying it's endless. <laughs> 
My husband doesn't have a clue about the kids' lives. I don't think he'd know who their teachers are if he met them in the street. Dentist appointments, clothes, menu planning, presents, after-school activities, endless. And I think that... I'm not I'm not saying that's not the case because my goodness I know an awful lot of women who are taking on so so much but yeah does he know does he know that this is what we do and say we as in both 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 genders um can I ask you a bit of a a bit of a question um which is about how to broach this with your partner so say you are a man or a woman listening today and you think do you know what I do feel like I'm not appreciated or the work I do is taken for granted for example. And I know we're going to come to the B word, which is boundaries, <laughs> because it's Tuesday and I've got a yes, on the line. Yes, you know absolutely. What? I, I heard a proverb recently which made me think of you and it was good fences make good neighbours. And I was like, oh, Thorai would like that. Nice. Um, Thorai nice. would like that. So, um, so just lastly, um, one piece of final advice. If this is, you know, bringing up some, some feelings, thinking of some red flags, or you want to make some changes, how can you sit down with your partner in a constructive way and say, we need to make some changes? Well, you know, I think it's, it's how you approach the topic as well, right? So if you're approaching the topic from a perspective of, Um, you know, you need to do this and you need to do that. I think you're already coming in with uh, on the offensive and that's going to put the other person on the defensive Mm -hmm. rather than saying, you know, I think both of us need to need to spend some more time together understanding what we do. And, and both of us need to kind of maybe appreciate each other a little bit more. The reality of the situation is that communication is going to be key in, in, um, in a marriage and in a family. If you feel like you're taking on a bit too much, then ask for help, ask for a change in the family dynamic. And that is extremely important so that you can reduce the emotional load and the emotional burden that you're experiencing and thus maybe breeding some resentment and contempt towards your partner. However, what I would say, and I think, and and you know, Helen, I'm I'm gonna say it because I say it all the time, boundaries. Boundaries are key, But what you want to understand is you're not setting boundaries between you and your partner. You're setting boundaries together for the sake of the family. Mm -hmm. And it really has to be an us versus the world kind of a situation versus me versus you. Mm -hmm. And so essentially, when you have this type of conversation, you want to say to them, look, listen, how are you feeling with the load that you have. And I'll tell you how I'm feeling with the load that I have. And I agree with the with the project management message in the sense that no it shouldn't be shared and everything should should be equal some people are going to work on some things and other people should are going to be working on other things there's also a point of are you judging the way the other person is doing their bit and if you are judging then that's something you need to work on within yourself because yes maybe nobody's going to be able to do things in the way that you want them to be done but that's not the point Mm -hmm. the point is is that that person is still doing their role in, and responsibilities within the relationship and they're contributing. And that contribution needs to be appreciated from both sides, from all sides. And if you feel like that's not happening, then that's important to communicate it to your partner so that you can have a, um, an environment in the household where everybody's feeling appreciated. And when things are a bit too much, and sometimes they are, you can share that and your partner can can take a little bit extra load from you this time and then you can do the same for them next time. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. I think that's yeah, I think there's going to be some conversations in Dubai tonight. Um a question uh, more of a, a comment here from you and saying communication and team play is of course key, 
But just like any team, if one side is either not appreciating or not putting in the effort, then resentment comes in. Not just about the appreciation, but also the perceived effort needs to be there. The healthiest relationships have that balance. And yes, for the record, I'd just like to say, Nick Farmer, you were a bit of a superstar and I'm, I'm very, very, I'm very happy. <laughs> very happy with the balance. I'm going to make sure he gets this podcast. Um, Thiraya, thank you so, so much. Really, really interesting um, topic. As I said, it has gone viral at the minute and I feel like a lot of people having some assessments as they look, in, look into their relationship and look at what they want to get from the new year and sometimes that might need some changes that might need a bit of a step back but I think we have on have come on so so much from that initial 1980s term of kin keeping where it's all on the woman and I think we need to be appreciating both sides communicating those expectations not being a martyr and coming back to that we not me um Thraya, it's always a pleasure Wishing you and the team you, there at the Human Relations Institute Clinic a wonderful week ahead. If you do want Dr. Thiraya's details, drop me a little message. I'd be very happy to share them. We're talking travel on the show this afternoon. Um, I'd love to know what are your plans for 2023. Are you organised? Do you need some help getting organised? If so, our next guest might be able to help. We've got Jay, founder of Woven Travel, in the studio with us today. She offers some personalised research services, helping you find the destination of your dreams and certainly opening your eyes to somewhere you might have never thought of before. Jay, which leads me to ask you, how many countries have you travelled to? Ooh, I don't really keep track but i think i'm probably nearing 40 maybe you're from canada i'm from canada yes and i think the big appeal for a lot of people in dubai is the proximity of you know being able to travel from here it's, a, it's the classic dubai is a travel hub but it it really really is have you found yourself traveling more since you've been based in the uae for sure although um we spent before we moved to the uae we spent four years in norway and oh. europe is i mean of course that's even like further uh like that you can get so many places so quickly so we did a lot of traveling there and of course that was a lot of that time was pre-kids so Mm -hmm. you could jet off you know quite quickly it's a different booking and travel experience definitely so my i turned 40 last year so did my husband so my husband's 40th present to himself is to go to norway he's going in a couple of months flying to oslo getting a flight up to alta and he's doing like a six-day husky sledding expedition on his own. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was not invited. Uh. And, so he's, and then the other weird coincidence, my parents actually met in Norway. And it's been 50 years since my dad um, moved there initially with work. So he's going back to Norway also on his own at the same time as my husband to have a, like a nostalgia tour. So my husband and my dad might meet up and, you know, have a fjord trip. And then I had that moment of going... Yep, I married my dad. <laughs> so I, I'd love to go back to Norway. I think it's unspeakably beautiful. Oh, it's so it's so incredible. My son was born there um, and we left, you know, just before he turned two. So it's certainly a dream to get him to go back and mm. show him, you know, this is where you were born. This oh. is like, I feel like he has a little bit of you know, just Norwegian in him. You know, he does, he struggles with the hot weather. My daughter was born here. She seems fine with the heat, but my son is, yeah. So definitely um, Norway, wonderful place. I'm curious then, are there any countries or even cities that you would not hurry back to? There, I mean, there's most, most places I'm fine to go once. I would not go back to Naples or spend an, a, an amount of time in Naples, I don't think. Not even for the food? Not even for the food. Um, 
I, Italy, I mean, there's good food in all corners of Italy, and there are many places in Italy, Italy that I haven't seen. So, I, I mean, I could pick out a hundred other places to go back, but that would be the one where I think I would draw the line so at. So tell us then a little bit about Woven Travel. Why did you start it? What kind of gap did you feel like was, was needing to be addressed, especially for, for UAE residents? Well, you know, we are pretty well-traveled, but we're also really short on time. We're definitely short on time and we're definitely well-traveled. And I mean, that's just a general conversation that you find yourself having with, you know, people at the, you, during the school run, in the supermarket, like, where are you going next? I find that there seems to be Either the do-it-yourselfers, the people that are, you know, well-versed in travel and, and do a lot of bookings on their own, or there's this other side where you hire a travel agent and you say, I want to go to this place, and they come back to you with, you know, here are the flights, the hotels, the activities, and it's going to cost you this much, and off you go. And I felt for myself and for a lot of my friends that where where are the people that fall in the middle, the people that really have experience and would would probably do it themselves, mm-hmm. but they've, you know, are out of time or they're overwhelmed. They've got too much on their plate. And then they find themselves feeling like, oh, I'll just do this easy trip because I really don't have the time to, you know, dedicate to researching it like I'd like to do. And then might regret it because they haven't got, well, unlimited funds or indeed unlimited holiday days. Exactly. Exactly. So, so you're kind of trying to help, help people maximize their travel opportunities for want of a phrase? Yes. And I really think that I mean, travel is almost like it's a reflection of yourself and it's very difficult. I mean, just for myself, I could I could never step into somebody else's trip and really feel like, oh, that was a great fit for me. I feel like we're all, mm-hmm. you know, we all have these unique personalities, wants, wishes. We're traveling with family who also have their wants and wishes and things that, you know, if you're traveling with kids is different if you're traveling solo. Um, and so I don't... I don't want people to be taking these kind of cookie cutter trips. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that people can really make a bespoke trip that speaks to them. And then that, of course, is going to give you the best experience when you're traveling. This is Dubai I 103.8. Who Helen Farmer with you in the studio with Jay from Woven Travel, a personalized travel service that really meets you in the middle between that, well, what so many of us do, the, the, the scrolling, the booking, the Excel spreadsheet, the arguing. And then you've got the opposite end of the scale, as Jay said, the, you know, the, the full service. This is offering a middle ground of ideas and inspiration, learning what you've liked in the past and perhaps opening your eyes up to, to where you could go in the future. Um, Sustainability has become a massive, massive, I don't want to say trend because I think it's more than a trend, Jay, um, topic and priority for a lot of people on the hotel side, but also us as, as travellers as well, really looking for that. And I wondered what your take has been kind of watching this unfold over the last few years and where it's got to in terms of the extreme end too. It's quite interesting, actually. Um, I didn't realize this uh, previously, but this week is actually Sustainability Week in Abu Dhabi. It so is we indeed. are very on par here. Uh, but it's very interesting. I think the pandemic really signaled a shift for a lot of places. And I say that, you know, in the larger scale, as in like the countries developing their tourism industries. And I say that because, you know, when everything kind of came to a pause, it gave everyone a chance to look around and say, what is working and what isn't working. Mm -hmm. And particularly in places, 
you know, like Paris and Venice that get a real, you know, mass tourism there. And that's been something that they've been, you know, looking at and thinking, how can we, you know, deal with this in the future? The pandemic gave them the pause to think, well, when we come back, what can we do to make some changes? And what's that looking like? And not necessarily in those cities you've just given examples of, but what have you seen on your own travels and, and seen through research as well that, you know, we might not even be aware of? What I was reading about recently was France taking quite a few steps. Um, so, for example, come, I think, April, they are limiting that you cannot have a connecting flight if there is a train journey equal or less than two and a half hours from where you are landing. So they're saying we're going to step back our carbon footprint in air travel. And if there's an alternate way of you getting there, that you should be doing that instead of taking that short haul flight. How interesting. Mm -hmm. And what about from the traveler point of view? Do you feel like that's been more of a priority with people coming to you and saying, you know, whether it is taking shorter flights or maybe looking for sustainable destinations as countries or even particular properties? I think it almost comes in, you know, in a in a larger scale in that people have to be more, you know, deliberate about the decisions that they're making for themselves. Mm-hmm. So they not maybe it's not at the forefront of their mind of can I find a sustainable property, but for them, you know, with the costs of everything increasing, they're not taking as many trips as they used to or they're maybe not going as far. They have to really think how can I make this worth it mm-hmm. for my budget and for myself. So that's where the sustainability comes in on the ground level. It's interesting when I was trawling booking.com at the weekend, um, they had, seemed to have like a little three leaf system at the moment talking about sustainability. And I was like, I've never even noticed that before. So really interesting to, to see where this is going to go. Um, but also, I guess what we're seeing on the ground right now, I went and this was a real UAE bucket list for, for my birthday last year. We went to Ziggy Bay. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it was just the most incredible place. But they talk about being, you know, zero waste, you know, as far as as far as possible. So when you're walking around the resort, there's no plastic bags in, in, the, in the bins. You know, it's all Hessian sacks. There's no plastic bottles for the shampoo. It's big ceramic bottles that are refilled by staff every day. They grow a lot on site, you know, and so on and so forth. And I thought that was a lovely touch. I don't think that would be enough for me to spend that money again, you know, you know, in honesty, it wouldn't be a tipping point in my decision making. But I guess it had that feel good factor for for people going there and thinking I'm having a lovely time and I don't feel like I'm compromising the planet that much. That for sure, sense? for sure. And I think even I mean, certainly the upper end um, of things like I was my kids were at Emirates Palace camp during winter break. Um, <laughs> How very UAE yes. of you. <laughs> and as I dropped them off, I was walking the property and they have a beekeeping spot on the Emirates Palace property. Wow. There was gardens for the chefs to use. And I mean, that that doesn't maybe ring the bell right away to say sustainability, but that actually is sustainability at its core. Mm-hmm. How can they be using what's on site to help them reducing a carbon footprint um, and also just you know the bees and the pollination and all of that like that's helping the environment in general we're talking travel this afternoon jay is the founder of woven travel jay given all of your foodie adventures across the world what is your worst taste the food you would never ever eat again 
So I, as I said before, I lived in Norway for four years. There are quite a few Norwegian specialties, uh, but the top is probably lutefisk, lutefisk, which is a salt-cured white fish, and then it is brought back to life to uh. eat by rehydrating it, mm. and then it becomes kind of gelatinous. Um, Thank you for eating that. Why, so I never need to. No, definitely See, not. Uh, you know, scrounging to get back to that. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. What about the, what about your best foodie adventures? Are there any dishes that will really stay with you based on where you've been in the past? Dishes. I can't think of a specific dish, but when I think back to trips, two stick out. One um, pre kids in Greece. I just felt like every single meal, my husband and I were like, oh my gosh, this that was, was the, the best, best thing I've ever <laughs> eaten. Really? Um, and then second, uh, a few years ago, we took the whole family to Sri Lanka. And I guess maybe because I didn't know a lot about the food that, you know, I didn't have any expectations going in. And we just ate like royalty there. The food was so fresh and delicious and homemade and I you know still dream about that kotu roti <laughs> isn't that funny because food you know whenever I speak to chefs you know, I'm often asking you know what, what's been your best foodie city and so many of them you know say Tokyo and you know places where you've got this really kind of in, intensity of I mean, Michelin star restaurants are incredible chefs but it, it does tend to be our foodie memories from holidays that we stay with us and we can never recreate that at home because it's not just about what's on the plate it's you know it's the setting it's who you're with it's that feeling of being on holiday. Um, we've got lots of people who need your advice, Jay. Okay. <laughs> so if you've got any destination dilemmas, get them in. Woven Travel helps with personalised travel, giving you ideas and inspiration of where to go. Um, and some really, I love this, guys. I also like the fact that not everyone is organised at the minute. Um, Jasmine saying, I want to do a safe solo holiday that's good for single women, um, open to all ideas and locations. Anything come to mind? Yeah, so I think I can think about two. First of all, if you want to, you know, do a city trip, I would say something like Copenhagen or Stockholm. Those are just generally really safe countries. As it is, the Nordics are, are just great places to travel. So that would be one. Great food in both of those. Lots to do. Easy cities to navigate. But secondly, um, last year I was on safari in Kenya and not part of the lodge I was at, but uh, at a watering hole, I saw that there was a photography tour on uh, Kenyan safari. And so you actually, you know, meet up, they have a professional photographer that goes, you know, on the drives with you. So it's combining this safari tour. And I, you know, I thought about a solo friend of mine who loves to take photos. And I thought that would be such a fantastic way to go on safari not um, feel like you're all alone while you're on safari, but then also have this expert advice, you know, someone to learn from as well to really kind of open up a destination for you. I love that idea. What are people coming to you with now? What are some of their questions, their concerns, their passions for travel? Are you noticing any trends with clients? Definitely. I mean, every there's the year kind of goes in phases. At, at this point in time, lots of people are starting to think about summer travel. So that's coming up. You know, where can I get to this summer? I also think, too, people are looking to get a little bit off the beaten path, which I think is fantastic. I think... I wonder uh, if your idea of off the beaten path is different to mine, though. What would you, what would you think of being kind of a bit out there? Well, it's funny because my husband's idea of off the beaten path is probably different to mine as well. I'm maybe more on the safe side. But I've been hearing so much about Albania lately as a really great destination with beautiful beaches. 
um, and just like the culture, lots to see and do, and not a place that a lot of people have been. Mm-hmm. Does, that mean, does that mean it's more affordable? Definitely more affordable. And I mean, if you think about Croatia used to maybe be like this, where it was the place lots of people were going for, you know, a more affordable holiday. But now Croatia's sort of blown up. It's mm-hmm. become all over the place. Can we blame Game of Thrones for that? Yes, <laughs> probably <laughs> thanks lay, to lay, that. Lay the blame there. So, we, so that's interesting. So kind of lot, lot more Balkans. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Interesting. Right. To the text line. Carol asking, are there any new or hidden gems that Jay might know of, such as retreats or hotels for a peaceful staycation in nature? I I live uh, in Abu Dhabi near to the Jebel Mangroves and there's a new-ish retreat there called uh, the Puro e- Pura Eco Retreat uh, which looks fantab- fantastic and I would say peaceful to the max because no kids are allowed there. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one day. Yes. How interesting. I do, yeah. I've seen some adverts for Jebel. It looks absolutely beautiful. I think they're being very smart in terms of their pre-opening marketing. A bit like um, Dubai Creek Harbour did here about getting a bit of a buzz around a community and a location before they start doing the big building and, you know, sell, selling everything. Right. And it looks absolutely gorgeous. You've got these walkways above the mangroves, very yes. Instagram friendly. Yes. And the the resort itself, I mean, you you there's no cars that go in there. So and it's maybe like a like bubble tent kind of vibe. They have mm. a really great restaurant with fresh ingredients, healthy eating, oh, all of tick, that kind tick, of stuff. Oh, tick, 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 Carol, yeah. there you go. Um, a message here saying, um, I need to travel on a budget with kids and two kids, uh, sorry, husband and two kids twice in the summer looking for lush, green and cool places. We're just talking about Albania mm. being very budget friendly. If yeah. someone is looking to, I'm saying they travel twice, but you know, really looking to perhaps split up their holiday over the course of the year and split their budget accordingly, where do you think you can get real bang for your buck right now? I just went to Vietnam before the holidays, and I was amazed at the affordability of it in Vietnam. There were six of us. My uh, in-laws were with us, and we went out for dinner, and it was $25 for US, six of you. For six of us. I was blown away. Like, I mean, you don't. You don't go to McDonald's here for $25 almost. Wow. So mm. Vietnam, so so going going east? Going east. And then Albania, you're saying for kind of Europe? Anywhere else do you think? Yeah, there? I would say, I mean, Albania, Slovenia, Montenegro. Now, and that's interesting in Montenegro because um, we're looking at exactly those places. We're looking at maybe Austria, Slovenia, Montenegro. I think of Montenegro being a bit of a kind of a, a rich and famous playground. Are there still still some bargains to be had? Yes, there, I mean, you can definitely get uh, high-end hotel feel there. But for a lot of people, their experience with Montenegro is driving through, you know, on the Croatian road trip. Mm -hmm. Uh, So not a lot of people are actually stopping and staying there, which I think is what maybe brings the price down a little bit. Interesting. Just coming back to food. Mm -hmm. It's the best pizza I've had in my life in Croatia. Oh, you know, my husband and I have said the same thing. And we took my son there when he was six months old. So we ate a lot of pizza because we were, you know, early bedtimes and things. We're still eating a lot of pizza. Exactly. Constantly like picking up a pizza to bring back to the room. And every time we were like, man, the Croatians can do pizza. It's so close to Venice, you know, in in Istria where, you know, it's kind of, it is really up close to Italy. So I just want to throw that in. Yeah. If you are going to Croatia... (laughs) I've got a highlight in my Instagram about Croatia with kids and pizza features very heavily indeed. Um, I just want to kind of come back to the sustainable travel, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. And I guess 
it's very easy to be like, you know, hotels need to be more sustainable. You know, airlines can should be doing X, Y, Z. But I think there is a lot of personal responsibility that we can take. And, you know, certainly I don't. So I'm wondering <laughs> if you could offer up some advice for making some, boosting our understanding for one thing, but also making some changes on an individual basis or a family basis with this in mind. Definitely. I think when people hear sustainable or eco, they think it has to be the extreme, like one way or the other. But it's really sort of like what we do at home. You know, we take a reusable water with us when we were out and about. And you should be packing that when you go on your trip. Mm -hmm. The same with a reusable shopping bag. Lots of countries like here have eliminated plastic bags. So bringing something with you so you can cart your things home. Also, um, when you're planning your trip, keep it in mind. You know, I think gone are the days of doing these I'm going on a holiday for two weeks and I'm going to hit 10 countries. <laughs> you know, like slow it down, spend the time in places. You can reduce a massive carbon footprint by staying put somewhere new. Mm -hmm. And I think that the best travel experiences come when you've slowed down and you really get the feel of the place versus just checking off. I the nearly list. pointed the finger at the North Americans there, but I know you Canadian, but that kind of, yeah, you know, this summer we're doing Europe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, you are just ticking off like 10 countries in, exactly. three, in three weeks. I love the idea of that kind of bedding in and getting under the skin and ex exploring somewhere. Um, a number of people asking about your details. Um, can you let me have Jay's agency? Um, it is woven travel. You can have a nosy there. Um, and my question is coming back to Sri Lanka. Is it safe to travel um, at the moment? I think Sri Lanka, I mean, we've all kind of been watching, you know, with a lot of heartbreak as we see the last year or two there. I think uh, I think it's not only safe to travel, but I, I would encourage travel to places like this where tourism has been such a, uh, a heavy part of their industry mm -hmm. and that, you know, the between the pandemic and then strife, um, that they really need the tourists to, to come back. So I would I would highly recommend looking for places like that where your dollars really go. That's what a I was going way. to say. It's like coming back to affordability. Surely that's going to be a, a factor as well. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right. Tea, tea and tourism. You know, mm -hmm. when you think about about Sri Lanka's economy, and my goodness, you know, we had we've had some. We went there. We went there on my baby moon, actually, as mm -hmm. it happens. And I would love, love, love to go back to Sri Lanka and mm -hmm. spend some more time there because so much has actually changed in the last couple of years in terms of airports, roads, you know, infrastructure. Um, and as you say, it's a country that perhaps needs it, needs it more than anywhere right now. Um, for anyone that does want to get in touch with Jay, what, what is the best way of reaching out, availing of your services, finding out about what you do? I'm at uh, woventravel.co on Instagram, website, all the, all the things, woventravel.co. And last question, where are you hitting up in 2023? Where's the expert going? You know, I turned 40 this year. Yay! And I have been dreaming of uh, going to Bali on my, for my 40th birthday. So that's, you know, in the back of my mind that I'm oh. hoping to get to. Fantastic. Keep us posted and we'll be staying on your Instagram to have a look. If you do want the details of Woven Travel, you can send me a plane emoji. You can send me the word travel and I will send you that link very happily indeed. We are bringing in the experts and I have to say whenever we have a clinic around skincare the text go off a little bit. We know our skin there's nowhere to hide with our skin you know whether it's stress or environmental factors there's a lot we can be addressing especially when we live in a hot country so let's we're going to be talking skin care we're going to be talking about facials Gronya Sullivan is with us today she's from Skin Laundry and is an expert in all of this I'm curious Gronya, are you 
a straightforward skincare person are you doing your full you know 15 you know step korean extravaganza oh no i'm all about you know work smarter when it comes to skincare i think we can do so much damage with too many tools at our disposal these days. Everybody, I know myself, I go into any different, uh, you know, chemist or Sephora, I'm hit with something. Oh, I must try this. I must try this. Oh, I must try oh, that. Oh, yeah. So oh, even I get hit. that and I'm an expert. <laughs> or you're hit by somebody going, oh, your under eye circles. Let me let me guide you to this area. We can make you look like less of a it's hag. It's always amazing when somebody points out your faults. And it always makes me feel like spending. Yeah. Not. Um, it makes me feel like walking out. Yeah, exactly. I think you think a few of you might know where I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Not good for the ego. Definitely not. Let's I think the sales say, approach could do a little bit of work. But mm-hmm. yeah. Education is key. Education is it key. really is. And actually my dermatologist um, said to me, she's like, we all need to stop looking in magnifying mirrors. Mm-hmm, <laughs> definitely. I was like, yeah, yeah, I think that's probably true because you can get a little bit fixated on these things. Yeah, and real skin as well. People, yeah, we're looking at filtered images. We're looking at, you know, editorial shoots. We're looking at products advertising the world or facials advertising the world. But actually, everybody has texture. Everybody has pores. Everybody has you know, irregularities in their tone, that's what makes us all different. Mm-hmm. And it's about, you know, having the best skin for you. It's the healthiest skin is what we want to achieve, not poreless, flawless, rubber skin. <laughs> yeah, quite, thank you for saying that. I think that's really important just to be realistic. And I am guess that must be something a lot of people come to you with is feeling often quite distressed about skin. And, you know, I, I've had eczema as a child and, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, a, a lot of people I know have had acne as teens, but also in adults. And I think we underestimate the impact it can have on your self-esteem and your mental health when you don't feel confident to put your best face forward 100%. for the world. Yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, that's what brought me into skincare. I suffered really, really, really badly when I was a teenager with like cystic hormonal acne. Um, and it was something my mom had and my dad had. So even growing up, I remember my mom always saying to me, you know, this is coming for you. You're going to end up with this. I mean, all the lovely things parents put on their kids. But um, I became obsessed with sort of, again, like I went and done all the wrong things. I packed it full of, you know, the Elizabeth Arden pan stick. I was, oh, you yeah. know, caked going into school. I used to be like wearing my scarf up around my mouth, obviously in Ireland, not in Dubai. <laughs> um and yeah, like maskne now, when maskne became a thing here, that really reminded me of when I was younger, when I would wear these, you know, snood type of things up and around Just my hide, face to hide, hide. everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, products for stripping oil. It was all about, oh, you know, remember, strip. Remember Oxy? Oh, like, yeah. They had those, like, those clear little pads. Oh, and just the have smell. Like, have a big scrub of that and then yeah. stick some oxy on. Then just, your face will just be nice and peeling. Mm, just that burn, that good burn. There's, there's a, there, are, there are other ways of dealing with it, which we're going to be talking about. Yes. But, um, facials is you know, obviously a, a big passion, a big part of, of what you do. What age do you think people should start looking at facials? Are they people? Because I'm including men in this. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, to be honest with you, I think for everybody, the younger that you start into a very simple, basic routine is the best advice I can give. Things like keeping your face clean, which with a gentle cleanser or a gentle wash. Mm-hmm. Um, I really think like my daughter is, she's about to turn 12. I've started introducing it so to her. you've got a 12-year-old. Yeah, I've got a 12 year It's a lot of laser, babe. Oh my God, it's working for you. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, yeah, I've got a 12-year-old and a 5-year-old. And to be honest, I mean, I, I think it's just because it's, 
in my DNA that they have picked it up themselves. I'm not like forcing it on them, but definitely, you know, when you see that little sort of lump and bump in texture and Mm -hmm. as soon as sort of puberty starting, we do have to actively help our skin. You know, uh, we all are guilty of touching our faces. We're all guilty of like putting a pen in your mouth, chewing something, touching um, and I that think we just breeds bacteria. During the pandemic, really noticed oh, that. Like, stop touching. Can't stop touching my face. I can't stop touching. My- I didn't realise until I was told not to do it. Um, yeah. I want to ask you a little bit about Dubai skin. Mm. What's coming into clinic? Have you noticed anything that is perhaps unique to this part of the world or you're seeing more of than anywhere else? Yeah, massively. So here it's definitely melasma, hormonal pigmentation. Just had a message on this very topic. Yeah. Can your expert please advise on pigmentation on my cute female nose or suggest a treatment? What's that about? Is this sun exposure? It's definitely, there's a wide range of things. Like sun is an easy thing to blame because obviously we live in, in this type of climate. But actually... Uh, hyperpigmentation due to pollution is a massive, massive problem here. And it's something that obviously, you know, I've got colleagues in the US and we've had, I've had specific dermatologists come over doing training here with our team. Um, And that's one thing that they noted in all of the clientele that actually the type of pigmentation that we're seeing, hyperpigmentation, is more driven from the pollution and what we're absorbing in our skin. So here, obviously, there's a lot, you know, we're in a big city. There is a lot of pollutants in the air at any one time. We're also in AC Mm -hmm. all day, every day. That can cause stimulation for your melanocytes and also cause your skin to be more sensitive and more proactive or more active when it comes to UV exposure. Mm -hmm. Um, So antioxidants, which are my staple of vitamin C for anybody, is essential in Dubai. That goes for, you know, just protection. You need that sort of film on your skin, not just vitamin C with SPF obviously SPF we all know the benefits but you do need something to sort of filter through what your skin is absorbing at any one time what if you've already got existing pigmentation that you want to get rid of yes so to be honest what you apply topically is going to work very minimally in the skin so Mm -hmm. you're really only treating the very surface area to treat pigmentation and especially melasma the best thing that you can do is Q-switch laser which is a type of laser that works into your dermal layer. So it's targeting your melanocytes. It's helping to break up pigment, disperse it into your lymphatics so it can be safely brought from the body. Um, This is very safe for all skin types, which is also a really key factor here. Mm -hmm. Um, Different skin types, especially darker skin tones, there's not a lot that can be done topically or, you know, there's not a lot of treatments that are safe that don't cause bleaching or pigment damage. Um, But definitely Q-switch is something that is super safe for everybody and really, really effective at breaking up pigment. Joining us in studio here at Dubai I 103.8 is Gronya Sullivan. She is joining us from Skin Laundry, here to help across any skincare questions that you might have. And she's glowing. I know we're not on Facebook Live, but I just feel like she is a, an excellent representation of all things skincare. Um, we've had two messages actually asking about boys of a similar age, 12 and 13, pimples on forehead, just starting to get acne. Can you advise on things you can apply or use? Where yeah. to start? So definitely it's really important that they look at what they're doing. Are they cleaning their face? What what are they washing their hair with? Things like that can make a huge difference. Um, especially I'm always reluctant to tell people to start using like a really 
aggressive wash for oil or something that says acne usually on the front, to be honest, ends up being, you know, salicylic based or something that's a little bit too strong for the skin. And if you strip away the oil, your skin will just work double hard to replace it. So if you're talking to the teenage skin, again, you've got that hormonal change. Puberty is coming to effect. A lot of people are actually very sensitive to the sebum that they start to produce at that age. So your skin feels like it's a little bit under attack. It's quite thick, the oil. You need to be using something that definitely cuts through it but you, that you're not doing it on a very regular basis so I would suggest for nighttime that they use something that is like a you know a wash that has salicylic in it that's CeraVe ones very exactly popular, yeah CeraVe is actually really really good because it's it's a very clean brand it's very very it's not going to cause any reaction mm-hmm. to the skin and then for morning time when the skin again after you know you've slept you're not really out and about in pollutants or in an under you know sweating sort of situations that's where you would use a gentle wash for them in the morning some, something really simple again CeraVe is really good they've got some really mild washes but it's just about being aware as well of you know if they're putting oil or wax or anything in their hair you know boys and clean hands dax, as well clean hands yeah sweating if they're playing a lot of sport things like you know a cleansing cloth if they're going to be training something that they can put in the kit bag that they can just clean their face with afterwards um, or after pee whatever mm-hmm. they're doing things like that make a huge difference but keeping it clean and keeping it moisturised so definitely moisturising as well. Which feels counter, counterintuitive, yeah. but it does make a big difference. It makes a massive difference. Um, Joe says, hi both. I've had blackheads on my nose since I was a teen. And even though they're not that bad, whenever I've had a facial, they extract. Mm. It hurts a lot. Is there anything I can do regularly at home to prevent the blackheads? Are you okay to do a bit of a myth busting around blackheads? Because yeah. I feel like there's a lot of misunderstanding I around them. myth busting Yeah, blackheads. come on, go on, go on. So blackheads, number one, it's not that it's dirt or it's anything that, you know, you haven't washed your face enough. It's again, it's oil that naturally occurs, sebum that's there in your pores. And basically that oxidizes when it comes close to the surface. The deeper the pore, usually the more of a buildup you have. So first and foremost, the easiest way to prevent them is making sure that your skin is well exfoliated. So if you don't have this channel, this little tunnel basically of a pore Mm -hmm. it's not going to fill up so that it doesn't look like it's expanding and it's got that dark little mark on the top also extractions I know some people love the satisfaction of seeing them. I do. I know. <laughs> I, I, as a therapist, also love, actually, I used to love doing it, but it's the worst thing you can do. So once you start squeezing anything, pushing anything out, you get about 30% of what's in there coming up. The other 70% goes down into the pore and it usually sort of spreads to the surround. So okay. you just make that hole bigger. So guess what? It's going to fill up more. It's going to look more prominent. So I know here especially in Dubai you get, go a lot of places and they really go to town with extraction there is safe ways to do this so again I know I'm saying I, I'm biased towards laser but laser is amazing because it really draws it up from the pore it draws that deep sebum that's sitting low and it brings it to the surface then doing something like hydrofacial which is a, like a vortex sort of suction mm-hmm, get that um, vacuum going on exactly so you get that like swirling of all your your good serums in there and it's gently sucking it from the pore when you do that you give your skin a chance for that pore to just contract back down so mm-hmm. the first 12 hours after you do something like that that's vital that you don't start packing on makeup you don't start packing on you know heavy creams because you want to give your skin a chance to sort of constrict and come back to its natural size a pore is not a door 
Yeah, you said it. It's a tagline. <laughs> it's a good tagline. Um, we've got a message here, no name on it, which is, we always say, absolutely fine. My daughter's eight and has white patches on her knee and under mm. her eye. The doctor's diagnosed it at vitiligo. What can be done about it? The doctor says later can stop it further, but there is no cure. When mm. I've spoken to dermatologists in the past, that's exactly what I've heard as well. Mm-hmm. To be honest, again, it's something, it's, it's like rosacea. Vitiligo is something that can just appear on the skin. It can be from a trauma. So if there's a cut, sometimes if you have, you know, an overproduction of melanin, you end up with the body sort of rejecting itself and it starts to attack the melanocytes and that's where you get that bleaching. Laser, you can contain it, but you have to be very, very careful. I also think an eight-year-old as well. Yeah, no, no, no. no. I would say the best thing you can do is make sure the skin is really moisturised as well because sometimes when it gets dry, if you get scabbing or peeling, that, you know, a wound can Mm -hmm. sort of basically trigger that reaction in the skin so I mean to be honest it looks beautiful look at Winnie Harlow I mean she is like the epitome of I really think it's about embracing it rather than trying to fight it and I have seen where it can shrink back um, but again you know skin is beautiful everybody's different embrace that difference um, especially for her at age I wanted to ask you lastly because we've had a a number of messages asking just about general skincare Mm -hmm. because as you said you know we get Products and research and experts thrown at us. So for, for your average Joe or Mo um, living in Dubai, mm-hmm. what, what should we perhaps be incorporating in terms of washing, treating, protecting? Okay, so gentle wash... I'll say it again, it needs to be nothing that's stripping. Stay away from the words, you know, clarifying, stripping, oil reduction. Because to be honest, even though people think they have oily skin, usually they have dehydrated skin with oil on top. That's me. So yeah, you want a gentle (laughs) cleanser. I will tell you a toner is essential here, but a toner that is a balancing toner, something that's not going to strip the skin, no alcohol. So a gentle toner. Um, Again, that helps to close down the pores. It helps to protect the skin and regulate your pH then you want to do your serum so an active so for daytime I like vitamin C as I said for pollutants for just a general shield over your skin it's vital especially in this region we're absorbing a lot Um, and then obviously your SPF during the day mineral SPF over chemical SPF is definitely the way to go uh, especially for skin that's reactive a lot of people are like I'm terrified to put an SPF on especially if they do tend to break out mineral does not cause you to break out and it's also going to leave you with like a matte finish so it's mm-hmm. not going to look shiny or greasy um, and then for nighttime, basically same routine do a gentle uh, wash your toner and then you want to do an active additive at nighttime. so a retinol maybe transemic acid which is the hot 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 ingredient Never at the minute it. yeah it's 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 the only fda d- approved um, ingredient on the market for treating melasma so hormonal pigmentation or hyperpigmentation it's you're going to see it everywhere by the end of this year all of the big brands are jumping on it I will say I'm ahead of ahead of the time with it um, but it is amazing it's one of the only things that you can actually stand behind and say that will treat your pigmentation wow yeah thank you so much for coming in we've no had problem. so many messages we hadn't got to so we'd love to have you back again um, in the meantime you. though you can find Grania um, and the team there at Skin Laundry if you want details of that what's the best way of getting in touch so you can go on our website uh, you can always uh, contact us through there book an, a consultation with our nurses um, we also obviously 
obviously have the clinic in Marina and DIFC. And yeah, we've got our WhatsApp and our text lines as well. You'll find everything on the website. If you do want the details and you miss that, maybe you're driving um, or you haven't got a chance to note it down, just send me the word skin when you get the chance on 4001. I'd be very happy to send that information over. Gonya, really appreciate it. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure. meeting the author this afternoon. Darren Taylor is an actor, a model and an author as well. His new book, Pandemon, is out now. Now, you're a busy dad of three yes. and quite the spread of ages there. How, 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 how many kids have you got and what are their ages? Yes, yeah, so I'm the dad of three young children. I've got 13, 10 and uh, 6. So um, I'm curious then, because I've, I've got young kids, as they get older, kind of navigating bedtime are, are they are they reading on their own now is the six-year-old still wanting you to be reading stories to her what does that look like yeah the the 13 year old is 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 getting a bit beyond that and she kind of wants her own private time uh 10 is trying to be like the 13 year old <laughs> yeah. and um, but still secretly enjoys a book at night time uh he, he likes audio books uh, in the dark, which is cool, so that gets him to sleep. Oh. And, and my six-year-old, she's she she loves books. She absolutely she she doesn't sleep until she's she's had a book. So, so this is dream come true for Daddy to write a book. Yes, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, Tell us a little bit about Pandemonium. What what's it all about? Yeah, no, I appreciate the opportunity to do that. It's um, it's part of what I'm developing now, which is a box set, and not professing to be an expert in terms of any kind of medical fields or psychology uh far from it but a vastly experienced dad that's gone through a million different situations and you, you identify with your own kids that are common across all kids that they have their own little isms and little mm-hmm. problems and um what you start to realize as they grow up is that some of those things could be sort of confidence blockers or little roadblocks to them not probably fulfilling their potential or really fully stopping them from sort of going out and being the best version of themselves um so what i tried to do was develop um a a, a a box set which works a little bit like a, hom- a homeopathy set. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you so can you, kind of pull out what you need. When absolutely. You need it. Absolutely. So th- th- there's 10 books. Um, one is done, which is Pandemonium. Pandemonium. Um, the second book is written, and that's now in production. Um, that one's about bullying and racism. Um, Pandemonium is about naughty behavior understanding the consequences of naughty behaviour. Oh my goodness, you've come into my life at the perfect time. <laughs> <laughs> and then the redemption of trying to redeem yourself when you've, when you've made that mistake and you've, you've kind of messed stuff up. And we're going to cover all the other aspects like uh, a new baby in the house, sports day, tests, etc. And the idea will be is that if you can identify some of those everyday little problems that kids go through and then they sh- I want to develop a book that would aim to cover that problem um, is via a sort of a fun animal world because mm. kids resonate with animals. That was an easy choice. Didn't want to in, um, invent something that they couldn't identify Yeah, it needs with. to be tangible, I think. Yeah, so the animals uh, 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 sort of take the role as kids and I've created a little ecosystem. There's malls and schools and they get the school buses and little things that they would recognise. And it's really about also helping big people. So big people is the reader. Um, and the writing is designed, the fonts are designed, um, and, and, and the wording is designed to really engage with the little person, um, which is the kids, uh, to really, really kind of like evoke emotions and understand. And actually, it's not just reading a book and it's mm-hmm. monotone. You have to really get involved. And um, it's, it's worked really well. My, my kids... Love it, but they're biased. So no, they're easy. not. Kids, listen, kids <laughs> pull no punches. Whether it's food they don't like or a book that they're bored by, they will let you know. That's abs- that's actually true. I've Zero had a lot filter. Of, 
but a lot of really good feedback. So that was, and that was it. You know, I've had p- people sending me pictures back from their kids holding the book and sending me voice notes that their kid wants that book to be read to them, you know. and That must feel amazing. Yeah, that was what it was all about. It know? is, it's about that connection. Yeah. And I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, books can be this amazing way, this conduit, this springboard for talking about some really tough things. Whereas yeah. a parent, sometimes we don't want to have to be like, let's go sit down at the kitchen table sure. and talk about racism. You know, sometimes it's let's have a, a bedtime story where this is being addressed and maybe we'll have a, a you know, what sounds like a casual chat afterwards and explore that Absolutely. together. So it's, it's a tool for, for, so, for so many parents. Absolutely. What was the writing process like? I, I, I always wanted to do it. And that's that's the big thing. It's actually that kickstart. And it, it just constantly kept growing and growing and growing. And every time I sort of got to a certain point, I kept thinking, well, actually, I don't want these books to be linear. I want somebody who can read this book and then read the fifth book. and mm-hmm. read A little bit like the Mr. Men series, mm-hmm. right? You don't need to read them in a, in, in, in a, in a row. So um, the, this took me five years. Wow, it congratulations. Took me five years. congratulations. So I would, I would take the iPad on the Metro when I was working and just – write as much and notes and things like this. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, it was COVID that really kind of gave me the time back, mm-hmm. um, juggling everything that we were trying to do at the time. Uh, but COVID really accelerated the process. But you have to really get into it. You have to really think about all the spin-offs and how it can all work. And eventually you tie it all together, then you get something that you think is right. And then ask any author. It's, it's, it's never right. You <laughs> it's, a process. it's a process. It's a process. Where can people find Pandemonium? Okay, so um, so I worked with the guys, uh, um, the, the publishers are Austin McCauley, so they have the book on, on their website. Um, and if you want to contact me, I'm on Instagram. I'm at Darren underscore James underscore Taylor. I'd be glad to connect and help you out. So. And where can we, and anywhere else we can buy it easily? Yes, it's on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble. It's on Mum's World, so there's a lot of online. Um, what was it like seeing it for the first time for sale? Yeah, it was, um, yeah, there was a little smile there. Yeah, was, Good. Uh, yeah, I was proud. Well yeah. deserved indeed. And really interesting to see as you see this ecosystem developing this this world thank you so much for coming in and, uh, and sharing pleasure. a little bit about you and thank you for the book that's our, that's our oh, bedtime yes. sorted tonight <laughs> if you do want to tell the book drop me a little message and just say book i'd be happy to send over the link so you can get your very own copy of pandemonium <laughs> And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.